it's something weird than me. Last year I celebrated my 50th and I, be, I made a big party upstate and people start getting hungry at midnight. I start doing pizza. I have a wood oven. I start doing pizza after a huge party that starts at 12 noon because I couldn't imagine that all my guests, like anyone, is hungry now. You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm Editor-in-Chief Matt Rodbard, here with Senior Editor Anna Hiesel. Today on the show, Matt is catching up with Anat Admini, the chef at New York Israeli restaurant Balabusta, and a whole lot more. What did you guys talk about? Anna, I've long admired the work of Anat. She's behind Taim Falafel, which I really think is the best falafel in maybe America. I've not tried every falafel in America, but I think it's a pretty good one. She's also the author of two cookbooks, Balabusta and Shuk. We talk about her life growing up in Israel and the fine-dining career that led to her working at some real heavy institutions in New York City. Her resume really rules. We also talk about her frequent television appearances and why she truly is the ultimate balabusta, which is the Yiddish word that translates to perfect housewife. <laughs> what a great word. We had a great talk, Anna. Here's Matt talking to Anat. Aina Admini, welcome to the Taste Podcast. Thank you. I've known you for a while. I've had your food at Barbolona, at Balabusta. I've had Taim falafels up what? the wazoo. Kishkash? Kishkash, yes. I have been to Kishkash. Is that still with us in life? No, <laughs> unfortunately not. Ah, <laughs> oh, it was a good concept, though. Couscous, right? It was great because it was cheap and delicious and unique and it's the first time that somebody do a whole concept over amazing real and rolled couscous. So I think Taim, your your green falafels, your falafel falafels were were really um, what made you who you are in New York in the beginning. But like falafels weren't that big then, right? When you no. when you launched them in New York? No. Uh, I don't think people was as much familiar with falafel, they used to go, a lot of NYU students used to go to Mamoun and that's what they know and they love it, it was cheap and great. But then I think when they start coming to Taim, they realize, oh wow, there is a, even a better one. And, you know, we start putting a lot of like new sauces that people wasn't yeah. familiar, like Amba and Schug, that you would see very little in New York back then, also had few different kind of falafel. So that was very unique, and we brought sabich, which oh became. yes, you did. <laughs> yeah, amba and shug and sabich are, are are all foods I think now in 2022 we 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 see everywhere. I mean, yeah. truly, it's it's definitely been crystallized in New York and many parts of the country. But you were very early. So what was some of the pushback that you got early? I don't want to be negative, but I want to get be articulate because the food was not. F- really embraced widely right away. You had to work, right? So the first a year and a half was super tough. Yeah. The location we had on Waverly Place in West Village, and I love the West Village, but it was a hidden Eden Street. Nobody passed there. It's not a food traffic. So the first year and a half was so hard and I I was pregnant, and at the beginning, I also worked in the other restaurant as a chef. So it was a lot of things going on. 
And my husband just want to close it because it was just make no sense. And I'm like, we're not closing that. I was at such a big <laughs> faith about this falafel because it was nothing around. And I was checking nonstop to see what's going on, who's doing falafel, if anyone do sabir. And then I try other things back then, you know, like it's funny because we try like to put jachnun, which is like Yemenite uh, bread and mm-hmm. some stuff that people, oh, the brown eggs that we eat on Shabbat. And people said, oh, why the egg is brown? It's look like it's rotten. So we tried back then a lot of new things that didn't catch. Yeah. But the falafel did after while and it started all from one article I think in the New York magazine that starts rolling. Was that from the Robs? Yes. Yeah, yeah, the exactly. double R's. You know, and for years, it's so funny because for years after that, everything I did, I always tell Robin the first things I tell them because I have like, you know, the loyalty they kind of... Um, yeah. Yeah, it was nice. Absolutely. And I, I feel like uh, what you're doing at Bell Boost now is just a no, yet another evolution, and I want to get into that. But first, what was life like growing up in, in B'nai Brak? Like, I feel like you grew <laughs> up in a very orthodox yes. part of Israel. So, yes, but uh, my neighborhood when I grew up was very mixed, not a lot of religious people, actually. And mostly I would say Ashkenazi, very little uh, Mizrahi and Sephardic. And... When I was around 12, maybe 10, mm-hmm. I was a teenager, I think, my parents started getting very religious, and that was changing everything. And I was big enough not to go that road, and they try really hard mm. to make me religious, and I'm like, no. <laughs> then, you were like, no, no, with a pause, or no, like, hell no? It was, I think, they kind of ruined it for me, because I'm a very spiritual person, and I do actually took a lot of things from uh, tradition and culture, and I keep um, a Friday night, a very vibrant at home, without, you know, all the rules and things, mm-hmm. but there is a lot of things that connected to family and you know, my social environment, it's a lot because the way I grew up. So I can thank them for that. Yeah. But yeah. You refer to Friday as Shabbat, which is a, a time of rest and it's also a time of food. And I'd like to know when you were celebrating Shabbat, uh, what was your table like? You have a, an Iranian background, like your, your yeah. family, that is your, your, your heritage. What were some of the foods on the Shabbat table? There is so much. And just this uh, Friday, we have Passover, and I'm cooking for almost 25 people Woo! at home. I know. That's, a, that's a tough service right there we to run. We just start with 12. You know, it's always <laughs> like that. I said oh. to my husband, we do it intimate. 25. Just few. Yeah. That's a hell of a month. I did it man. once at 43 in Brooklyn, New York. Like, I did it one. It was like a wedding hall with tables all around my living room. That's a lot of haroset you're making, right? I know. I'm not making. I, I okay. The haroset is one of the things I would let somebody else do. Yeah, yeah right on. A lot yeah. of chopping. Yeah. Okay, so back to the actual So Shabbat uh, dinner, um, it's going to be sometimes zabzi, like chore zabzi, which is a lot of herbs and uh, like a stew. It can be many different things. What I grew up, it's a Yemenite soup every Friday night. There is always going to be a fish. It's... One of the rules, I think, on Shabbat, Interesting. it's fish, and then it's going to be chicken or lamb or beef, some stew or something, sometimes both, a lot of different salads. It's like three course before if we have, we don't really do dessert, we will do like kind of like um, nuts and things. But. How do you make a sabzi? How does your sabzi go? Oh. Um, a lot of different herbs. So my sabzi will have... A little bit tarragon, some shablila, or we call it fenugreek leaves a little yeah. bit. That's very important. And then a lot of herbs, a lot of spinach too. So it's going to be dill, 
I said tarragon, right? Parsley, yeah. cilantro. I put a little bit mint. Um, so a lot of different herbs, some scallion, a lot of spinach. So it's, I wanted to have very grainy. I'm going to crush a few uh, mm-hmm. Persian limes, lemon juice, a pinch of sugar. This L- sounds so delicious. It is. Wow. And my last, my mom does a lot of time it was black IP and b- beef yeah. or different kind of, but I start doing like lambs, kind of pieces of lamb with chickpeas inside. And it's and I put it in my last book, Shuk, and this is one of my favorite now. Yeah, we'll talk about Balabusta and Shuk, your two books. I want to know, um, zooming out, because at the top it's important to kind of crystallize, and it's a difficult question, um, but I'd like to ask it to you and get your take. So what is Israeli cuisine? I'm sorry if I'm like the 25th <laughs> person who asked you that 25th, this month. 25th, the worst 25th. this month, I'm you saying. probably, oh, the month, this yeah, month. probably. But, yeah. but I, I, I have family in Beersheba, and, and my my, huh. my father-in-law was born in um, Shevezion. So I've been to Israel a number of times, and I, I understand it myself. But for our listeners, what's your take on that? It's a very tricky question, you know. I've been, I, again, I've been asked that so many times, and... Um, you know, my interpretation of what is Israeli cuisine, it's a young country that's still playing around of, you know, it's mm-hmm. not like you would go to, my husband is French, you go to France, they have tradition of hundreds of years, Italy, the same, a lot of places, you know, they have that long heritage. We are such a young country that probably give us some, uh, like, more leverage to play around and to yeah. figure that out slowly. But what I would say today, I, th- I think it's a combination of the melting pot we have in Israel and the fusion of, of that, you know. And it's very interesting to see if you go to Tel Aviv today, you will find a lot of ethnic food, you know, from Yemen and yeah. Iran and something you wouldn't find 30 years ago. Nobody going to pay to eat outside when the woman can actually cook at home, you know, they wouldn't spend the money in restaurants. So uh, the whole food scenes outside was horrible. So Mizrahi cuisine is a more, even more modern part of Tel yeah. Aviv cuisine. And it was before then Ashkenazi early days of Israel, very, a lot of this European influence, but very early days and not a lot of money, right? Yeah. Not a lot of money there. So food no. was was kind of a challenge. So. It was a challenge, but still, I, I I remember when I grew up because I'm like, you know, I grew up in the 70s and 80s. And mm-hmm. I remember when I grew up, there is no restaurant. Yeah. We are not going to restaurant ever. Yeah. Maybe once in six months to some school. Uh, you know, Shipudia, like a place that is very simple, mm-hmm. that you have like very basic, mm-hmm. but it's not part of a culture. My mom is an amazing cook. We have food on the table every day. Mm-hmm. And my dad didn't see any reason why. I remember years back, I went to Israel with my brother and I asked my dad to drop us in the center of Tel Aviv in Schenkin because mm-hmm. we want to have coffee. And he said, but we have coffee at home. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is like, why are you going to spend money on coffee? I can make you coffee now. I'm like, okay, that's not a problem. It's such a, a common uh, a common experience with the older generation. Yeah. Of we got it at home. But I think if you do go to Tel Aviv, I have to say, it is one of the most exciting food cities in yeah, the world. I agree. You're going to find so many interesting Mizrahi, Ashkenazi. You're going to find Asian. You're going to find mm-hmm. South Asian. Mm-hmm. And, and just tell us about Tel Aviv in general. Do you visit often? Is there yes, cool? I'm going in a few months. Ooh. I've been um, in last June. I'm, pre-pandemic, I went at least twice a year. I have a lot of family and friends. My mom still lives in Bnei Brak. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I love it. And when I'm there, I always stay in Tel Aviv with my family. And it's like, it's just magnificent. The food is really, almost everywhere you're going to go, every like... Uh, 
a tiny hole in a wall, you're going to find great food. Absolutely. I think, no, like most of the stuff, I think the bread is like extraordinary. Every uh, tourist that I'm talking, like friends that, you know, have no connection to Israel, but going to visit, they talk about the bread that everywhere they go, they got warm and great bread. So. Oh, can we talk about Glida? A what? The dairy, Glita. Glida. Yeah, Glida. Yeah. They have good ice cream as well. Yeah, there is a lot of good things. And I want to go back to the Israeli things, the the cuisine. I think it's a lot about the agriculture. Sure. It's a lot about, like, the way they grow cucumber and the vegetable we have there. They're just amazing. Cucumbers are different element. Yeah. Like, it's a, yeah. it's a different species. It, yeah. It's a different you type. Yeah. You start finding them here now, which is great. Oh, yeah? I start finding, Where? like, Persian cucumber almost everywhere. They're not as good, but they got start getting sweeter here and great. They start, I see more and more, you know, like, start having more resemblance, which is amazing for me because I can, you know, my Israeli menu. salad is better now. Put it on your menu with the fundamental yeah. dish, Israeli yeah. salad. Yeah. Maybe some hearts of palm in there. No, but last last summer we put on a menu like a whole cucumber things with three different kind of cucumber. The fakus, which is a white cucumber, Palestinian one. And then we had like a Persian one inside and then another one, a crown one. So we had mm. like, you know, we can find some. Cucumber three ways. I'm not yeah. going to see that in most restaurants, mm-hmm. I, I think. <laughs> um, and how did you get into cooking professionally? I would like to hear that story because I think it's it's really an interesting path. In America, it's very different than here because... You finish high school, you're going straight to college. There is no, you know, in most families, they're not going to give you much, like, freedom to choose. And mm-hmm. people more and more doing now gap year, which I love and uh, super uh, pro that, mm-hmm. especially with my kids now. But in, in Israel, it's a very different thing. It's, uh, are we going to military for exactly. two years? Exactly, military uh, service, which, two years. Forget about the military and the idea of that, but there is a lot, you know, I... A lot of great things happened for, for, for me because I went to military, personally. Um, it's sense of relationship that you not, I don't find much here, you know, uh, a strong friendship mm-hmm. forever. Um, loyalty and um, there is a lot of things that I gain out of these two years and what's happened to a lot of Israeli after the military, they don't want to go st- still study because they've just been in military for mm-hmm. two or three years and then they're going to travel. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. So I uh, finished high school, barely finished high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to the military for two years. I was in the Air Force starting as a driver. You know, back then there is not many things women can do. Mm. Uh, my profile wasn't as high as I Actually, I knew it's not. You know, back then, if I'm Mizrahi, I'm not getting the best point. Interesting. <laughs> and yeah. if I don't have, like, the best degrees of, uh, you know... Uh, uh, high school. High school, yeah. it's also, you know, there is a lot of, like, factors that... Mm-hmm. So, and I don't want to be a secretary. That's what 99% of the women would do in the military. And I'm like, I cannot do that. So I became a driver. I have a driver license. I was became a driver in the Air Force for the pilots. Um, it was just in a Gulf War. Mm-hmm. And I became a cook very fast. I became the head cook of the division. And hmm. that was, but I found myself during the years after that that's what happened. 
Yeah. It, it doesn't matter where I am. If I'm in a, a party with friends in the Negev, and south of Tel Aviv, and we do something and somebody said I'm hungry, boom, I'm like making, mm-hmm. you know, I just uh, celebrate my, my... It's probably from your mother. You said your mother was an amazing cook. She uh, probably informed you with this, this uh, tradition. No, but it's something, it's something weird in me. Like ah. last year I celebrate my 50s and I, be, yeah. I made a big party upstate and people start getting hungry at midnight. Yeah, a lot of people left, but like there is 30 people, 40 people that starving at midnight. I start doing pizza. I have a wood oven. I start doing pizza after a huge party that started at 12 noon because I couldn't imagine that all my guests, like anyone is hungry now. Yeah. But I always like that. My husband used to come, used to work at Balthazar as a waiter, used to come at 2 a.m. And I was awake and it's like, oh, my God, I'm so hungry. I would I would jump to the kitchen and make him food. So this is what how you kind of reacted when one of the, the Air Force pilots was like, I'm hungry. He made no, some food. I, they, they used to bring citizen women from a city close by. Uh, and yeah. I always watch them, what they do. So they used to do focaccia and some yeah. things that I, I'm not familiar with. And I was like, oh, wow, this is new. And I learned from them some stuff. And then slowly I became that person that took so you eventually crossed over from uh, being a cook in the in the military to I, being professional how did that how did you make that transition but I I became a cook it wasn't my job as yeah. a military everybody said oh she cook in the military it wasn't I was a driver okay. that became a cook because I, I just really enjoy that and everybody realized oh she can cook well, let's mm-hmm. put her there and then after that I left to Germany no after military I went to college for three months and I couldn't sit. Yeah, I can't. I can't sit down for too long. My <laughs> my attention span. It's like it's just. Yeah. It's like a fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You so, you need to be active. Yeah. Active and movable always. Uh, so I left uh, after three months in college, which I stay in the dorms and cook for everyone to come back from school. That's what I did for three months, basically. I uh, I left to Germany, and uh, people ask me why Germany because I didn't have. Uh, Ticket flight all the way to India. That's why mm. I could get, actually. I couldn't even get to Germany. I got to Switzerland and I took. Uh, I each hike all the way to Germany. Oh wow! Yeah, from from Switzerland. From Switzerland. But your goal was India. My goal is to travel. Yeah, sure. India. I went years after with my husband. Yeah. But uh, my goal is to travel, and I traveled for many many years, and I lived in all around Germany, um, in RV. Pretty mm. much selling stuff on the street and markets and festivals, uh, travel a little bit around Europe, going back to Germany. Were you happy then? Um, happy. I was. Uh, I was twenty-one years old. I was <laughs> fearless, completely fearless. <laughs> I was driving crazy, almost like trucks. People would see like the five feet coming down from huge cars like that. Like wow, what's go-? like? I was. I don't know. I was very young and stupid, I would say. Did you experience anti-Semitism in Germany during that time? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. Oh. Uh, I had a, a five skinheads put a gun in my head for 15 minutes um, yeah. in East Germany. Actually, that's where I landed the first few months. And the uh, day after, I left to West Germany and I never went back. And I have few accidents like that with Nazis in East Germany. Mm-hmm. And also, like, when you go down, Germany is very different. And today, it's, it's, I'm sure it's much more progressive than used to be back then. But when you go in a Bavaria and all that area and you go happy changing, you know, they're much mm-hmm. more territorial and, like, um, 
patriot, I would say, you know. Yeah, that's where my fa- that's where my family comes from, Bavaria. Yeah. Oh wow, they are really different than people in Düsseldorf and and, yep. and up. Yeah. Um, and and also as my beautiful skin, my gorgeous dark skin, mm-hmm. it's not really always, you know. Immediately thinks I'm. Uh, Turkish, or you know, the the zoom. It's it just yeah. I'm I'm sorry you ha- that happened to you, and I wanted to just and thank you for sharing. I just wanted to get that get that out because yeah. I think um, it's challenging being out there in the world yeah. from where you come from. Yeah, but that's, but this is uh, yeah, and people always ask me why you went there. I'm like because it was a great place back then to make money and travel. So I yeah. was there for five years. Every year I work from March or April until Christmas. And the minute Christmas after Christmas, I was travel. So I've been in Thailand for three months, sitting on a beach for... Sounds tough. <laughs> I travel for almost seven years. I've been everywhere. Yeah. What a great life. But you ended up in the States. Like, you're, you ended up in the States. And it was And you're cooking professionally here in the States. I know. It's weird because I never planned. I didn't have a, a kid. Oh, one day I want to be in New York. <laughs> Nothing like that. I actually... When I decided to be a cook, it was I was around 26. I'm like, okay, now I need to kind of settle. Like, this is crazy. I'm not going to stay in Germany for much longer. I had enough. Mm-hmm. I need to go back home and find what I want to do. And what, what, and it was a hard decision. Uh, and I realized that the one thing I can do and not get bored, because, again, I'm all over the place. My brain is working nonstop. Mm-hmm. I think I want to do a million different things. But what I find out that the one thing I can do forever and it's so nice because most of my chefs now kind of losing joy for cooking after mm. 20 years. You know, it's like, ah, oh, I still have it. And I'm happy it was the best decision of my life because I said that's one thing that I can do all the time without ever get bored. And that's what happened. I went back to Israel. I went to culinary school, 10 months program. After that, I worked in the best restaurant back then in Israel called Karen under mm-hmm. Chaim Cohen. Mm-hmm. And I worked there for two years. I met my... A boyfriend that became my husband for a very, very short time mm-hmm. <laughs> later. Young husband, yeah. Young husband. Yeah. They're always young husband. Yeah, always. The, those are the ones that don't last, those young husbands. <laughs> no, Stefan was young. You know, I met my husband when he was 24, 25. Oh, my goodness. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then we came here because that was his dream. So I'm like, okay, I would, I would join you for a few months uh, internship and stage oh. somewhere. That was the plan. That's how it starts, that two-month internship. Where would you work in New York? What was your internship? It's like, so I started actually in, at the beginning in Florida. Okay. And then we came here because it was so cold here. I'm like, I was scared. Mm-hmm. But so, it's New York, right? You had to be here. Is that right? Of course. So we came here and I think my first restaurant was Bolo, Bobby oh. Flay. Whoa, I there know. you go, your guy, that's your guy. I know, he was my first chef here. So my first restaurant was Bolo, and after that was Tabla, I work under Floyd. Yeah. And uh, I work at Danube, I work in many different restaurants. Danube, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patria, know. wow, that was my favorite. Sorry, what was say. that? Patria, you oh. remember Patria? No. It was Nuevo Latino, Was uh, the beginning was Douglas Rodriguez. It was where is Barbunia today on mm-hmm. 20th and Park. Yep, iconic a- location, 20th and Park. I know that space. But you uh, you just you were filming with Bobby yesterday. You were telling me before we went on air. Mm-hmm. So you you were working as a young cook on the line at Bolo. Mm-hmm. But then and now you're filming with Bobby as one of his but uh, this is, colleagues. I, I have to say that there's a lot of things happen um, like that. Like when I came here, um, 
there is very few chef I was watching because the rest just seems like not professional enough. You know, I came from a very fine dining in Israel. Mm-hmm. So see Emery Lagasse throwing this, it was like, okay, <laughs> what is doing? Uh, you but, sound like Bourdain. <laughs> I know. <laughs> No, uh, but uh, but I I was a door like Sarah Moulton and Min Tsai and mm-hmm. all these big chefs that I look up for them. I cook with them and they invite me for the shows. And I remember when I came here and all I dreamed that one day I'm going to have few pieces of all clad. You know, that was now I'm mm. um, I'm signing a contract to be ambassador for all clad, which is super exciting. A lot of things happen like that. Like. Yeah. This well, you is, work hard. I mean, it's obvious you work hard. You've been doing yeah, this for a while. Oh, nothing came on a silver platter. Absolutely trust me, not. nothing. Uh, let's talk about Balabusta. I'd like to hear about your current restaurant, which um, you've switched locations with the same name, but you have a, you've been established in the in the in the village West Village West Village. Call it right now is a West Village West Village, right? Yeah. Um, wonderful restaurant. Absolutely, just amazing food you're putting out every single night. I mean, that the idea of like a three cucumber trio dish is. Amazing. And what's what's right now in 2022? What's Balabusta all about culinary wise? It's a lot of interpretation of the way I look at Israeli cuisine and Middle East. And of course, a lot of like stories, you know, for me, just to throw some dish on things, it's not enough. I need to have some kind of uh, almost a spiritual connection to a lot of things. So I just put a few new dishes on the menu that I'm super, super excited. One of it is my Yemenite soup dumpling, which I think is like so delicious and people love it. And it took me two years to find actually how to make that. Mm. And there is, and as I said, Yemenite soup, it's something I was eating every Friday night. Yeah, so every na- night back in uh, B'nai Brak. Yeah. yeah. And then my my daughter, Mika, she's 13 now. She's obsessed with soup dumpling. Like every time we want to make her happy, <laughs> we take it to Mott Street or any soup yeah. dumpling joint and that's... And I said, okay, this is so delicious, but I think it could be even better with something that. So I yeah. found an amazing lady to make me the dumpling, and I make a chilbe sauce. That's something I grew up as well, which is a fenugreek sauce. But I make it a little bit more uh, lighter because I find that people will see the real chilbe sauce, which is very slimy. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a turnoff. So yeah. I make it with green uh, um, cilantro and fenugreek leaves and other seeds. This is Shalom Bao. So you're basically taking a, a, yeah, a that's what soup is. dumpling, but you're doing it with a, your version this, of flavors. With my, uh, yeah, my dad passed away five years ago. And a lot of time it's like I, I loved my dad. He was such a, a great human. And every time I want to kind of like honor him, but like keep his keep his tradition alive, you know, like the mm-hmm. Yamanite things that people not always familiar. Like I have another dish now that I just put, which is a lamb neck shawarma. And this is a lot of other chefs did, and I did Mm -hmm. that like 15 years ago. It's nothing new, (laughs) you know, it's nothing. But I said, okay, it's, I made it so delicious with tons of caramelized onion and we serve it really nice, but what I love about it the most, that we serve lachuch next to it. And lachuch is like this Yemenite savory pancake that have a lot of holes and it's kind of mm-hmm. flexy and so, yeah. so fun to eat. Um, I like that dish a lot. That's great that you're doing that as a side. So you've got so, the lamb neck shawarma on one. So you, it's a whole neck that going on a cast iron. It's not oh. like shredded. It's a whole neck oh. with a lot of juice and a lot of like caramelized onion around. And then you have condiments like a turshi, which is Iraqi pickles. And then you have tahini. And now I'm going to, I have regular schug, but now I'm going to do red schug with passion fruit that mm. have acid, that it's different. 
and and the lachuch is there so you can rip that and kind of eat and play with a it. A passion fruit sugar? Yeah. That sounds really good. It's amazing. Sounds I tried awesome. it recently to make red passion fruit schug. I love that combination. And that's just the food that has always been put out at Barbolona, previously yeah. now uh, Balabusta. I tried to combine because everybody loved Barbolona. It was a little bit more modern, a little bit... I loved it. You know, more fusion. and it. So I tried to kind of keep the tradition of Balabusta, keep my fried olives that will stay forever, and then bring in new things and... You know, it's hard because everybody do Israeli cuisine now. Like all the stuff I did 15 years ago, I see them now everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. So it's like, and it's not just Israeli do that. Like it's became such a mainstream. A lot of Jews, like Jewish Americans. No. Like a lot of, but lot not of, even. I have friends that have no connection you know to. Cool too. And you will see all these ingredients that, you know, Hawaii now I will see in like American restaurant. Like, wow. So a lot of that. Um I mean, my observation is that these flavors are incredible and they're unique and they're singular and they should be shown in all sorts of restaurants. Absolutely. But at the same time, like it's something. So I'm thinking I cannot do the same. Like I I have to bring more, you know, it's like it's keep me really on my toes all the time, which is great because um, I don't know. I'm still creative. Yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah, you are. Passion fruit shoot. And yeah. shout out to that. And and uh, I want to kind of show another layer and another layer every time people that, you know, like showing something that they don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, there's got to be some anxiety um, with uh, obviously operating a restaurant in New York, but just the competitive nature of the dining scene and seeing like your these concepts that you proliferated 15 years ago being done over and over. I, I kind of sense that right now with you a little yeah. bit. Yeah, and also it's New York. Like yeah, uh, it's New York. I saw, like it's funny. I just saw the James Beard or the Michelin, like the restaurant they're giving. It's like out else of of New York. Like thinks that it's shocking. It just I'm like, if I was if my food was anywhere else, I would be. You know, not that I'm. You know, I'm happy to be in New York, and it's great. I did a lot of things in town. You know, I brought a lot of new things, and I feel very, um, you know, proud. Um, but I always said, oh, my God, if I would do what I did like 10 years anywhere else, it would be such a different story. Yeah. I mean, I think New York pushes you in a really, a really unique direction and it's really competitive. So you have yeah. to be on your toes. Yeah. Which is great. I like to be on my I toes. I think so. I'm too uh, short, you know, so it's always short. be on your toes. Give me another two inches. <laughs> I love that line. I mean, let's talk about your pita. Are you are you are you set on your pita recipe? Is it like a single singular recipe? The pita recipe, I'm getting the pita from Angel Pita, which is one. You're getting it from Angel, that's right. Of course, who doesn't? Okay, why to make pita? I set pita? you up for that question. I set you up because I was Come like, let's on. shut out Angel, okay? Oh, why <laughs> Why I would make pita in my restaurant when probably Angel Pita is better? We wrote a beautiful story about Angel Pita about three years ago on Taste, and I'll link to that in the show notes because it is such a great place, Angel Pita. It's the best. Angel Baking, yeah. yeah. Out in New Jersey, right? Yes, they're in New Jersey and they're from Jerusalem for like over 100 years. Yeah, so it's, it's like generation and generation gen, of gen, really great pita. I'm going to transition to something that I don't think many of our listeners know is that you you have a solid five minutes or solid 15 <laughs> minutes or somewhere in between. I'm referring to comedy. I'm referring to the sets that you that you participate in, that you, that you, you perform at the Comedy Cellar, an absolutely legendary comedy club in New York City. You're also working at the cafe in, in a capacity and you're revamping the menu. Let's talk about your comedy career. 
So where where does this come it's, from? It's not a career. <laughs> okay, I said that you didn't. Okay, your comedy interest. I have a lot of interest. Where did that come from? Are you a fan of comedy? Yeah, yeah. I think that uh, I think that laughter is one of the most important to human nature. Um, I think it's a healing um, method for me, you know, and. Also, as a person that grew up in a country that make fun of everything, <laughs> but everything, there is no taboos. You know, we grew up. I get so many jokes about my Yemenite and Persian mm-hmm. heritage. You know, and yeah. I never like okay. We make fun of ourselves. We make fun of others. There is even the tragic, the most tragic, like events in our life that became comedy. Like this is what I really. When people ask me why I'm missing Israel, that's one of the things. It's that the lightest of everything that is not, you need to be PC all the time. But um, yes, I am a huge fan of comedy. And I, a few years ago, I said, I want to do something else. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to change. I just, yeah. I want to do like a class of something uh, that's not uh, related to my family or to cooking and something completely different. Um, some time for myself. It was like something like just for me. And and this has come also naturally. I'm like, okay. You're just- naturally funny. I, I attest to that. You're a funny person. <laughs> you're fast. You're, 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 you're always got to comment about something. But let's talk about developing your your voice and your set. Like, how do you how do you do that? Like, let's. I don't talk to many people on the Taste Podcast about crafting a set when you're like following Louis C.K. Right? You follow some <laughs> of these guys on stage, like literally Louis C.K. performed before you. So the <laughs> yeah, he prepared the crowd for me. He did. He warmed up. He's your warm up. <laughs> so. Yeah, there is a lot to talk about. There, I have so much, so much material. I am a mom to two teenager now. Yeah. Um, I have restaurant. There is million rest stories about the restaurants. <laughs> you know, there is like endless. I have a husband, so it's twenty years of marriage. There is stories there. Um, I'm Israeli. <laughs> there is another story, a huge one, and yeah. so I have a lot to say. And always, I try to kind of narrow down what is really most important. And the first set was all about my son because he can give me material until <laughs> tomorrow. Uh, and it's a lot about sexual things with my with my son and not me and him. But I, yeah. I get it. Yeah, yeah we'll, okay. we'll clarify that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but, or, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there is uh, so that was the first set few years ago. It was five minutes about that. It's also about I was uh, very overweight, so it was a lot of jokes about that. Mm-hmm. And um, and this time I said I want to kind of like more narrow down to. To cooking a little, sure, and also after the last two years with all the Instagram things and a lot of about politics and Israeli and food appropriation, so I have a lot of bits about that. I would love to experience a bit about food appropriation and Instagram. So I'm going to wait <laughs> for that set. <laughs> no, I, I just listen. You know, as an Israeli, I always I would put something and somebody would write, but that's not. Is- I didn't say it's Israeli first. So mm. why are you jumping, people? Mm-hmm. And they're always going to accuse me. I realized a long time ago that this is nothing to do with food. Nobody get upset with Missy Robbins doing pasta, right? Mm-mm. Maybe some Italian are, but they're not going to write a, why are you doing pasta? Yeah. But yeah. people get upset with me. Why they upset with me? It's going to be a routine that I'm sure we should follow and, and see on Instagram ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. That routine on Instagram. No, but my my jokes is uh, that uh, my mother is Persian, my dad is Yamanite, and uh, 
according to ancestry.com, I'm fucking bleed hummus. <laughs> Good joke. So. I didn't want to ask you about a joke. That's funny. And and let's what what is what is the funniest food? Huh. I don't know. Funniest food always devil eggs for me. I don't know why. Because of they, they they make you fart a lot. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's what that that's is. sand shock. That would be sand shock, man. Yeah. yeah. Let's uh, let's d- dive into that another time. I think that there'd be a great piece that you could write for Taste about the funniest foods. Yeah, there is funny food. I'm trying to think. I'm sure there is. I mean, double there eight. is beets because then you get scared and go to. How many people went to the hospital because they ate beets and they didn't understand why the bowl move? Like you know, absolutely the classic Portlandia bit. Classic Portlandia bit about that. It's yeah. really funny. That's yeah. a great idea. Asparagus and there is a lot of things. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Aina, we ask all of our guests on the Taste Podcast, if there was a book project that you could work on without the burden of budget or deadline, what would that book project be? Um, wow, I have so many ideas about books. So, you know, I have two cookbooks already, and I, it's so hard. Just people that publish cookbooks know it's like it's a nightmare. <laughs> it's taking forever. It took me each book like three years. It's a lot of recipe testing and a lot of... There's ed- fresh hell around every corner as the author of several, I must uh, admit as well. It's so hard. But I uh, actually now want to work on uh, a memoir. Oh. So that's what... I have a great story. A lot of things that I couldn't put in my cookbook. Yeah, the head notes only can be so long. <laughs> It's not about that. It's a cookbook, so you don't want to hear about, no. you know, uh, drug, sex, and rock and roll. You want to <laughs> hear about food and re- everything relation to food. So this is like, um, I have a great story. No, you have. We've that, talked about a lot of the, or so some of it today. I, I want to put it up, and obviously I want to put it in the most comic way possible. I want I want somebody that read it that can cry and laugh at the same moment. <laughs> That's my goal. And um, oh, crying from laughter, you know. Oh, yeah. But I need to make it comic at the same time. Yeah. So that's that's my goal. I have no doubt you will. Ina Albany, thank you for joining the Taste Podcast. Thank you for having me. The Taste Podcast is hosted by Matt Rodbard and me, Anna Hiesel. The show is produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Our theme music is by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening.